everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. Martial arts for life and how that translates. Um, but like I said, I, I see a guy like you, and of course I've met you, I know you, and then I see what you're doing, and I'm like, this stuff translates. <laughs> it, it, it's relevant. It's, you know, a lot of athletes should be doing it, are starting to do it. So I just want to get your insights, your perspectives. I, I think, you know, I, literally, like, it's one of the most jaw-dropping feeds I have that I go through on a daily basis. Like, <laughs> Thanks. What's this guy going to do today? Like, and you know, <laughs> like, you know, athletically like this. Like, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I'm an athlete. <laughs> and then I see that. <laughs> like, I'm not a very good athlete. <laughs> <laughs> That's like me as a martial artist. God God said you need to check my ego. (laughs) Check your ego. (laughs) Uh, So tell tell Noah and I and whoever's going to be watching, tell us how does someone get, so I just want to give people a little idea. You're what's called a physiotherapist. They should go to your, whatever I'll say verbally is going to do no justice to what you'd see if you go on Instagram. Simon Stir Strength, Simon, and then S-T-E-R, Strength, at Simon Stir Strength. Anybody who goes on there, it's just like one, like all these poses that 99.9% of people have never done. It's, it's just, it's, 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 it's inspiring in, in terms of what humans are capable of. It's functional. It's amazing. And so tell us, how does someone, how long have you been doing this? with these dramatic calisthenics and how did you get your start? Yeah. So I started with gymnastics when I was pretty young. My parents got me into gymnastics. I did that for about a year or two. And at the same facility where they taught gymnastics, they had breakdancing classes. Um, So a friend who I was going to school with, who I did gymnastics with convinced me to go to a breakdancing class. I really enjoyed it. And I just made the switch from gymnastics to breakdancing. I much, um, much preferred breakdancing to gymnastics. The, the freedom of it, um, you could sort of train what you, whatever you wanted to do. Um, it's really flexible. It's something you could do almost anywhere. You just needed a bit of space and some floor. Um, but during that journey, I really found that um, some of the bodyweight strength training or the calisthenics training that gymnastics uses could be useful in breakdancing. So if you've ever, ever done a gymnastics class, it's generally structured with a bit of um, a bit of drilling. You know, you're training training skills, and then they usually have a conditioning or strength and conditioning component um, in the class. So you might have 30 minutes to an hour of bodyweight strength and conditioning, things like dips, chin ups, rope climbs. And I found if I could be a little bit stronger, I always thought I could probably achieve this skill that I'm just at the edge of. Um, or if I was a little bit stronger and my technique was slightly off, I could probably save this skill. So I started doing a lot of bodyweight strength training um, to help with my breakdancing. And then as I got older, I just enjoyed that a lot more. It's a lot, um, a lot less aggressive on the body. Um, like jujitsu, you can kind of take it anywhere. The, the possibilities are endless. It's something you could train your whole life doing and continue to make progress. Um, so what I do now is kind of a, a mixture of uh, breakdancing, calisthenics, and I integrate a few flips and tricks in there as well. 
What has been the thrill? You've been doing this for a long time. This is body expression. I mean, this is artistic body expression, artistic expression, athletic expression. What's been the thrill that's kept you in love with this? Um, I think the environment, I, I think like anything, I, I haven't stayed in love with this, you know, the whole time I've been doing it. Um, there's always peaks and troughs. And, you know, I had a, a couple of years where I started training jujitsu and I did very little, very little breakdancing um, or calisthenics. Um, but I think the thing that's just kept me interested is that the, the possibilities are endless. You can continue to train for things forever. Um, with social media these days, there's endless sources of inspiration. But I think most importantly, it's the environment you train with. So just having close friends that I've been training with for years, um, people I get get together with, you know, a few times a week and and train with really keeps me motivated to to kind of push the limits. Um, as I've gotten older, I've kind of moved a, moved a little bit away from trying to see what I can do with my body to trying to break things down and find the most efficient way to teach it. So now I'm I'm making a lot more tutorials, um, and that consumes most of my time rather than um, rather than the the training itself. But seeing results from people is um, extremely motivating in itself to keep doing that. Yeah, you've got like 500 and some thousand followers on uh, on Instagram, which is amazing. And I, I expect that number is going to keep going up. Your, your star is rising as we speak. For people who might not know, obviously, uh, Simon has an accent. <laughs> and oh, <yeah. laughs> a lot of Americans can't distinguish between the British accent or the New Zealand accent and the Aussie accent. Uh, Simon is an Aussie. Um, tell us though. So, as far I mean, you have you know you're a very you're you're you know you're a super muscular guy. So some people just can do the exercise, but they don't look the part. You look the part as well. You know, just just a, a, like like a kind of an Adonis physique, a very well built physique. When's the last time you lift weights? Do you supplement your your training with lifting weights or band work what else do you do you do to as an athlete yeah i i do lift weights um it's been a little bit um a little bit inconsistent with covid so i haven't really trained because i haven't had access to a gym gyms in australia were closed um since march and they've just started opening up again um but yeah i love weighted calisthenics so i think the majority of my training when it comes to building a physique is weighted calisthenics, things like weighted dips, weighted muscle-ups. Um, if you've ever trained with people who've been doing calisthenics for a while, it's very hard to, to train in an optimal range to build muscle mass with your body weight when it comes to things like dips. So the top guys out there are doing you know, 50, 60, 70 dips, 100 push-ups with ease, and it's, you know, it's not really um, that conducive to hypertrophy. So if you can throw some weight on a on a dip belt and do some or a or a weight vest and do dips that way, you can train in that kind of you know five to twenty five um, hypertrophy range, and it and it adds a little bit of fun to your training. But I generally when um when I have access to a gym, I'll do things like overhead press to help my handstand push up. I'll do some bench press variations to help planche push ups, and um I get very little leg training doing calisthenics so i throw in some squats and some lunges under a barbell as well now you know i think you know i'm a uh i have a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu under robert drysdale noah is a blue belt under henzo gracie and you've done you know quite a bit of training yourself you and i talk because i think we both have the trick shoulder that's come out of the socket which makes it even more amazing we're going to talk about that a little later <laughs> yeah you have a shoulder that comes out of the socket bro 
and you're still as strong <laughs> as can be and still doing what you're doing. You and I were t- we were bonding over that. We were we both lived in downtown Las Vegas, which is where Simon and I met. But talk about some of the exercises that you see in Cal. And again, I don't even like to call what you do calisthenics because when I see it, it's so far above and beyond like what we normally think of a calisthenics: a push up, a pull up, the dips. That's normally what we think of. So this is really advanced calisthenics um, compared to our popular notion of it. But what are some of these calisthenics? And you're, you know, you call it, you refer to yourself as a physiotherapist. What are some of the exercises on your page that you think would equate and help the jujitsu athlete, the wrestler, the MMA fighter? What are the ones that really have functional application for fighters and combat sports athletes? I think things like, um, I think for combat sport athletes, especially jujitsu, pulling strength is really important. Um, and things like, you know, you might train things in the gym like rows and lat pull downs. With calisthenics, you can essentially achieve the same thing by training um, chin ups, pull ups, and chin ups, pull ups, body weight rows, and front levers or front levers, um, if you know what that is, kind of suspending yourself horizontal in a chest up position from a bar. Um, I think that has a lot of a lot of transfer to things like jujitsu, things like arm drags, things like holding this nice kind of defensive position and stopping someone from trying to pull your limbs away. Um, the other thing that I think is really useful is grip strength. So, you know, doing training for things like one arm chin ups, you really do need a lot of grip strength, and a lot of people underestimate the importance of that. Um, and there's there's other ways you can incorporate grip into that. You know, doing chin ups with a towel. Um, doing chin-ups with a gi, that sort of thing can can really help. But I found, I think any kind of, if you improve your your strength, your neuromuscular control and coordination, it's going to be beneficial in any way. So things like planche and handstand probably aren't that transferable to things like MMA or jujitsu. But having that ability, um, having that ability will still help to some degree just by having that body awareness. Um, the ability to kind of move your body in space because that's that's ultimately what you're doing in combat sports. You need to be able to control your opponent, but you need to be able to control yourself too. And calisthenics will really help with that side of controlling yourself. Yeah, what you do is sort of a, it's a vast expression of like flexibility, balance, power, um, also artistry because it's not enough to just, you know, we see guys in the gym, they'll bench a weight, but it, it just, it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look beautiful. It doesn't look elegant. There's a grace a lot of times, at least by the time you shoot the video, I'm sure there's a lot of not graceful moments when you're practicing it. <laughs> but by the time you do the, the actual shoot, you know, and, and you've got it down, it looks, you make it look effortless and graceful, which I think is kind of like Anderson Silva, you know, went with his own fighting days, just making this stuff look easy. I wanted to put an idea in your head if you're not already doing it, because we are going to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurship because you're not just you're not just killing it in terms of building muscle and imagination and a great in a great Instagram page a great Facebook page you're also killing it so far it looks like on the entrepreneur stuff and it looks like you're really on the precipice of just of a lot of bigger things you've come a long ways and you're you know like I said your star is it looks like it's skyrocketing so one thing if you're not already doing it but that occurred to me is like how about a Simon Atta series like you know, Simon Otto or whatever, Simon Sir Strength, we could find a name for it for combat sports athletes, for football players. And then you would sort of pick those exercises, even though, as you said, 
there's crossover anyway to some exercises that don't seem obvious. They could benefit by doing them, even if it's not specific to their movements. But certainly with your, you know, with the, all the ideas you have, like micro-targeting, this is Simon Atta for soccer players, Simon Atta for NFLers, Simon Atta for combat sports. I, I'm just putting a bug in here because it was occurring to me as you're talking. I'm like, wow, this guy could just create these, these niches of, you know, on, your, on that, what your website for people who don't know, simonsterstrength.com is the website. But I, I was just, just thinking out loud there. I don't know if that's something that, you know, what do you have? Yeah. To tell us along the lines of that, what do you have? What was your vision entrepreneurially when you started, you know, a few years ago? And what is that vision now? Yeah. So as I've, as I've gotten older, I've moved a lot more to trying to teach calisthenics, um, I really enjoyed the the exercise science and trying to break down the biomechanics of, of different movements. So when people see things, when, when you see a guy bench press a, a lot of weight, people have a pretty good idea of how to get there, whether or not they, they will put in the effort to get there. People kind of know the process. You lift some weights, you, you get stronger, build capacity, throw some more weight on the bar. But when you see a guy do push-ups without his feet on the ground, it's not that intuitive. And you kind of just think, where would I start this? Um, so, so what I've been trying to do is break that down in a very systematic way so that those skills are accessible to everybody. Because one thing a lot of people don't know about calisthenics is no matter your ability, just like weights, you can always regress exercises to make them easier and you can progress exercises to make them impossible. And, um, it's just a little bit more complicated when it comes to body weight, because, people aren't really sure about how to do that. You know, you can do a hundred pushups. You think, well, I can't make myself heavier without throwing some weight on, but there's simple methods you can use like leaning the shoulders in front of the, in front of the wrists to make it harder um, that you can use to work towards those advanced skills. So currently what I'm working on is just kind of making a blueprint for each of those skills. So I have my project programs on my website, project planche, project handstand, um, teaching people how to, how to progress to those skills regardless of your starting ability. And then I have a general program called Project Calisthenics, which is kind of a um, building a foundation and building general strength, working towards all of those exercises, um, all those skills simultaneously. But yeah, I think down the track, I'll try to do um, do a little bit more targeted or, or niche type training programs. Um, if I was going to do something like combat sports, I'd obviously do that um, in consult with somebody who's who's a little bit um, who's a little bit more ingrained in that field. So someone like yourself or Lachlan Giles, who I, who I went to school with back in, um, back in Australia. Yeah. It, it's interesting because when most people see this, even me, I mean, I've been in the body expression, athlete expression. I've been doing that 30 some years and I've pushed my body to the brink. I've done, you know, they've had us do animal training, movement training. And then I see some of the things you're doing. I'm like, wow, that is like, that's just, that's going to be really hard. How would I do that? I think 90, probably 95% of people when they see, like when they go to your page and they see it, like a couple reactions. One is, well, that's amazing. Two is, well, that would be, that would be too hard. That would be too difficult. And three would be, well, I would probably get hurt. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, so that, that's the psychological hurdle because, and you're, and as you're explaining, well, yeah, if you just tried to do everything I'm doing right now and just dive in off the deep end, unless you were a phenomenal athlete, that's going to be, you know, that's ill-advised. Don't do that. But where do you think, what is a good start? I'm sure you have a lot of this on your website, simonsterstrength.com. 
what is a good starting place for people? Is it is it push-ups? Is it dips? Is it just pl- regular plank, you know, planks or planches or you know, how, what what is a general place for them to start? And maybe there's a place on your website that says Simon's to Strength for Beginners, uh, you know. Yeah, I think the best free resource I have is my YouTube channel. Um, so I've got lots of things on there, like a workout program for beginners. Um, I've got a few tutorials to work towards skills like the planche, the lever, um, the handstand push-up. But when it comes to, to where do you start, it's just like weights. So everybody starts at a different ability. You need to do something that's challenging but achievable to you. So, you know, you might, you might jump in the gym and throw... Um, I, I don't know, pounds, you might throw, you know, 180 pounds under the bench press. Someone like Robert Drysdale, who weighs a lot more than you might throw a, bo- a lot more weight on the bar. And, um, you know, you're ultimately doing the same thing. You're just training at different intensities and it's specific to your goals. So the exercises that you tend to choose will be, do I want to build a stronger or a bigger chest or triceps? Do I want to work my back? Do I want to work my legs? Or do I want to do a balanced training program that kind of includes everything? And it's the same thing with calisthenics. So you need to find exercises that are achievable but challenging to you, and there's plenty of ways to modify them. So things like chin-ups, if you can, if you can do 10 chin-ups, great. That's a great starting, um, starting point. Do a few sets of that a few times a week, and you'll get stronger. If you can do 30, 40 pull-ups and you're super strong, that's when you want to be doing things like biasing one hand. So you might take two fingers or one finger or one hand, so you're predominantly using the other hand. And that way you can work towards things like the one-arm chin-up if you can't yet do a chin-up or a dip, you can use resistance bands to assist you to regress them. You can do things like negatives. Um, you can do things like um, incline push-ups to help build capacity there. So if you're looking to get started and you're just thinking, this is just too overwhelming, where do I, where do I begin? I recommend doing a couple of pushing exercises and a couple of pulling exercises each session at an intensity that is challenging but achievable to you. So three sets of 10 reps is a great starting point if you need a little bit more guidance. Find a a pull-up variation that you can do. Find a dip variation you can do, a row variation, and a push-up variation. Then you're working horizontal pushing and pulling, vertical pushing and pulling. Um, And then throw in some leg exercises, pistol squats. Um, If you do that a few times a week, you'll get stronger. Beyond that, there's plenty of programs out there. There's plenty of resources on um, on YouTube, uh, videos on YouTube if you want to try and work towards some of those more advanced skills. Now I want to go deeper into your why into some of the entrepreneurial side of what you do. But first I know, I, I know you had a question, Noah, I'll let you uh, jump in and, and, and get a question in and then we'll go with sort of your why and the entrepreneurial side. Noah, I give you the, I know you got a question, buddy. Oh yeah. You know, um, uh, I am just thinking as you're saying this, when I'm training regularly, like obviously right now, everything, everything's off the table, you know, as far as training. But when I'm at Henzo's and I'm going um, and I'm, I'm rolling, we're in our roll class 90 minutes a night. Um, and I'm there three or four, four nights a week. My body, I, my joints, I can't take lifting weights. I can't, you know, I, I'm going to be very – very frank, you know, I'm 48 and, um, you know, I roll with the big guys and all of us, we say the same thing, um, you know, 30 years and up, 30 years old and up, we're challenged. So anyways, that's a little context for you. We're challenged in our joints. Um, 
to to do these things. Um, so um, I don't I don't know if you know I can't even think of two hand pull ups or chin ups right now. Yeah. I mean, my body, my body can't do that. Uh, <laughs> that's a max effort. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. too, I'm heavyweight. I'm yeah, 250. So, so, yeah. And that's a, that's a very common um, encounter, especially with a lot of bigger guys who are used to lifting, lifting weights or people who are overweight and haven't done much, much physical training. It's like, well, weights are accessible to me. I can lower the weight, but I can't do pull-ups. How do I, how do I get started? Um, and you know you don't want to start with one rep maxes. That's it's not fun. It's not a good way to keep you for an absolute beginner. It's not a good way to to keep you involved in that sort of training and to make progress. So resistance bands can be your best friend with calisthenics. If you get a set of resistance bands, you throw a thick band on the bar between your hands and anchor your feet in it. That will give you assistance with pull ups, and you might be able to to rep out 10, 15, 20 reps with enough um enough assistance. Then as you get stronger, you just reduce the thickness of that band until you can do it um, w- with your body weight if that's your if that's your goal. But it's it's the exact same process as you would use with um with the lat pull down machine. So you might put, you know, an absolute beginner might put 50 pounds and that might be challenging. And then as they get stronger, they can move up to 100, 150, 200 pounds um, and, and work at that intensity. A, a lot of um, a lot of people aren't aware that body weight training and external weights are using the same underlying principles to build strength you're putting a stimulus on your muscles um, your muscles don't know whether you're doing calisthenics or you're doing weights they're just getting they're just adapting to the demand imposed upon them and um and they use the exact same principles the only difference is you're using a pulley system with a lat pull down you're using your body weight with uh with calisthenics amazing so Let's jump in. Great, great insights. No, I'm glad that we, you know, we still reinforce if you're a beginner, if you're super heavy, because these are things people think. Yeah. Too heavy, so, it's too hard. I'm going to get hurt. So, this is what everybody's thinking. Sorry to cut you off, um, Frank. Just to go back to that point of like my my joints ache, um, you know, and things like flops can be really intimidating. You know, my my joints ache too. Frank's joints, <laughs> Frank's joints ache. Um, you'll be very hard pressed to find an athlete who is excelling in their field that doesn't have some sort of injury or some sort of complaint. And my, my advice as a, as a physiotherapist or physical therapist and as an athlete is to avoid pain however you can. So, you know, if, if this exercise is painful for you, it hurts a little bit in your elbow, reduce the intensity or modify the exercise so that it can be pain-free. So a really common complaint is, you know, supinated grip chin-ups um, often a lot of people get a golfer's elbow or a you know a pain on their their medial elbow. And simply switching the grips to a pull-up position can sometimes alleviate that pain. Um, or vice versa if you have shoulder pain. It's finding a way that you can modify it so that you can train pain free. And if you can't, just stop that exercise and replace it with something else. How many years, Simon, did, how many years did you have you been doing? Your practice of calisthenics, physiotherapy, all these amazing exercises. How many years gymnastics? How many years did you do that before you ever made a profit? Um, at least ten years. So, um, so I started with um, with gymnastics and and breakdancing really young. I was probably like eleven years old, 
Um, I was quite consistent with that until I was, you know, 18, 19. And um, all that I did for profit um, in that time period was taught a couple of breakdancing classes, you know, taught an hour a week of breakdancing when I was, I think I started that when I was about 16 years old. Um, so, yeah, it, it certainly, profit certainly wasn't the, the motive there and it still isn't. Um, but, yeah, it certainly it helps if you can monetize what you're doing. Tell us about the entrepreneurial moves that you've made because you're getting bigger. It looks like you're doing well. Um, and you give a, this is what's, this is what fascinates me about someone like you. You give so much stuff away free, like so many goodies. Like you, you show the exercise, you give a detailed breakdown of, you know, you give an excellent breakdown of just little body awareness insights and, Hey, make sure your elbows here. You, you, you not only show it visually and you demonstrate it, but then you give a breakdown line by line, sentence by sentence. So you're giving all the goodies away. You give so much away free. How do you? How have you managed to monetize that? Because, like you said, go to my YouTube channel. What are? Tell us about your philosophy on that of giving away things free and being able, and also at the same time being able to monetize it. Yeah, it's tricky because you're kind of in competition with a, a free version of yourself. Anytime you give something away for free, um, but then you have that double-edged sword of trying to get information out there, get people to know what your teaching style is like um, and, and promote yourself as a teacher. Um, so my motivation with teaching has never really been to make money. Um, it's, it's been to, to teach what I do and to, to give my philosophy of, of how to train um, away and pass that knowledge on to the next generation. So I make a lot of, um, a lot of free tutorials. I try to make them quite comprehensive. But you like jujitsu, you know. You could give a very quick uh, two second um, two second tip about how to do a triangle or how to how to do some some submission. But you can always go much deeper into that, and it's the same thing with calisthenics. So I can teach you the progressions to work towards uh, a plant or a handstand push up. I can go here's exercise one, two, three, four. But there's always so much more. How many sets and reps should I be doing of each exercise? How long should I be resting between um, between sets? How many days a week should I be training? Should my elbows be here or should my elbows be here? How wide apart should my hands be? Um, can you give me a structured program that outlines training, you know, three three days a week for, for this skill? Um, what if I'm more advanced? What if I'm what if I'm a beginner? Um, how do I integrate things like legs and pulling training in, into my into my program? So. That's the difference between what I try to do for free and what I try to monetize. So when I do something for free, I like to give kind of enough information. Um, I don't want I don't want money to be the reason that calisthenics isn't accessible to someone. Um, so I want to give enough information that somebody can say, "All right, I know how to train towards this skill. I have a pretty good idea. I'll do that." It might be suboptimal, but it will still be pretty good, and you'll you'll make um, solid progress. But then, if you want a really thorough comprehensive look at at a skill with every in and out covered um that's what i that's what i sell on my website yeah that's great information it's great insight tell us about your why um well tell me first of all about adversity because you're a guy i've met you typical aussie in the sense that you know you, you're you're uh you kind of go with the flow you're a cool character doesn't seem like you seem relatively unflappable you know you just kind of you know you're not re overreacting to things 
Um, but life happens to all of us. I think you're, you're early, thir- you're 30 or so, 30. How old are you? Yeah, I'm 30. 30 years 30. old. So by the time you're 30, life has happened. What have been, I guess, the toughest adversities and how were you able to overcome those? Yeah, t- to be honest, I've been pretty fortunate. I've had a um, quite a comfortable life and I haven't had anywhere near near as much adversity as um, many people have had. And that's what allowed has allowed me to, you know, pursue these hobbies of trying to spin on my head and and flip because I haven't had to had to worry about too much else in life. Um, but when it comes to to um, to training or just to life in general, I've had all the all the kind of normal complaints to get people down, like relationship difficulties, trying to find work life balance. Um, the big thing that's really impacted training has been injuries. Injuries are just horrible. Um, they're really demotivating. You you lose a lot of progress, but beyond that, it's it really affects your mental health. So I think some of the you know darkest times I've had have been when I've been injured and I haven't been able to train because that's that's what I love to do. Um, so I've found the the m- most important um, tips I've received to help get around that is just to do what you can in those situations. You know, these are the cards you dealt. The injury is there. You can't you can't take it back. What can you do to move forward? What can you work on? Um, how can you progress while you have that injury? What can you train that, that won't aggravate that and allow it to heal? Um, it, and I found that it can be a really good opportunity to work on your weaknesses and work on things that you wouldn't normally do. So um, breakdancing is a very, you know, one-hand dominant kind of art. It's like playing tennis. You don't tend to tend to play tennis using both hands. Um, it's the same thing with breakdancing. You tend to spin on one hand. You tend to hop on one hand. Um, when I've had injuries to my wrist, my elbow, my shoulder, I found that has been a really good time to to learn some control and build some strength on the other side. And then when you come back, it's quite frustrating. You've taken a step back with what you were doing, um, but you might have gained gained some um, experience elsewhere that you can integrate into your into your skill set and make some gains once you're healed. Beyond, you know, I know that you you know, that this is what you love to do and you love sharing it. You love teaching it. You're now you're able to make some pretty good money. Um, but digging a little deeper, what is the why? Like, what is the why beyond teaching? Like, because there's got to be, I mean, a lot of people want to be a teacher, but they don't want to stay in love with something like this for 20 years and just keep, you know, keep going. And, and like you said, a love affair with something, whether it be a sport, a business, a person, Love affairs have ebbs and flows, right? Yeah, I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with writing, right? I, I like, there's yeah. times I, it's it's lonely. It's, you know, it's humbling because great ideas don't come. There's those days it's, you're missing out on something. You're sitting in a chair for 10 hours and it's like, oh. Uh. So, and then there's moments where there's epiphanies and aha moments and you can, you can take things that you wrote down and you can reach people, right? I mean, those words can go from here to wherever. Any person on the other side of the world can see those words and be impacted. What is the deeper why that's fueling you and that's fueling this uh, this artistic expression and this teaching? Yeah, so now I would say I think this is um, this is the way I can make the most positive contribution to other people. So this is something that I have... Um, you know, spent most of my life doing. Um, I've thought out a lot of these skills very well. I got my um, my physiotherapy degree, um, which is quite related to what I'm doing when it comes to injuries, biomechanics, anatomy. Um, 
So I just think this right now is the most positive contribution I have to offer to other people. But this wasn't something I thought about moving forward. So this wasn't like, you know, I'm getting into calisthenics so I can teach this and, and monetize this. I started off when I was quite young and I just loved it. Um, I've, I've continued to do it um, to some degree for, you know, 20 years now. And um, I've worked as a, as a physiotherapist. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a good job. It's a, it's a nice, stable job. It's a sought-after job that a lot of people want to have to be a physical therapist or physiotherapist. But I just felt like I have a lot more to offer with what I'm doing. There's, there's tens of thousands of people out there who, can, who, could, who have the same knowledge that I have when it comes to physiotherapy. But I think very few people have the same knowledge when it comes to calisthenics and, um, and teaching that. So you have a lot of really advanced athletes who are, who are great athletes, but they're not necessarily good teachers. I really enjoy the teaching side. My um, academic background has been conducive to that with physiotherapy. I know what's going on with the body. I know what's dangerous. I know what's safe. I know exercise science principles. So I think I'm in a, a really good position to, to teach what I do and teach calisthenics to other people um, so that they can make progress. So your brand... The Simonster Strength brand. Interesting name. We, we can go into that name in a second. Simonster. <laughs> like, it's an interesting, like, you can just call it Simon Strength. I don't know if Simon Strength was taken or Simon Says. I don't know, whatever. But yeah. an interesting name, which we should go into in a second. But you've got this brand. How has 2020 impacted business? I mean, has it been, I mean, everybody's trapped in the house. What's been the yeah. impact of 2020 on your brand? Yeah, I'm actually one of the, the very few fortunate people who probably benefited from this lockdown. Um, so what I teach is calisthenics, bodyweight training, minimal equipment is needed. If you have a pull-up bar, you can do you know 90% of the exercises that I teach. Um, and a lot of people have, have gone from, well, I don't have access to a gym. I need to learn how to train at home. Let's try out some bodyweight training. Um, and I've been teaching that since before this pandemic. So that's been, um, that's been beneficial to me. Yeah, so I'm I'm quite fortunate there. Tell us about the name Simon <laughs> Simonster Strength because again, yeah. what's interesting about that is if if you were to sit down with a lot of branding gurus, right, before you started a business and we're like, let's go over names, let's go over logos, and someone might push back on that even on the dot com they say it's too long, it's too cumbersome, no one knows what it means. Tell us about yeah. why 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 that name works. And how you made it work? Like, why does that name work? And it's and do you do you think it's kind of brave? Like, it, to me, it seems kind of brave to like choose that name. Yeah, a lot of people would be like, it's not going to work. Well, you, you have a lot of guys. So what what you find with calisthenics is a lot of guys teaching calisthenics are kind of a one man brand. So you have these guys who who might have a name, you know, body weight strength or whatever the name is, but it's really just Frank. You know, it's Frank teaching. Um, uh, and so I just thought, you know, it's it's me teaching. I'll I'll just use the name that people know me as. The name Simonster came up as um uh, in about 2018. We had some breakdancers from Japan come and visit. They were training with us in Australia, and one of the guys was trying to explain to someone else um, uh, uh, something that I was doing. So he said, you know, Simon, and the guy's like, I don't know who you're talking about. He was like, Simon. He does the you know power moves and the strength stuff. You know, the, the guy's a monster. And the guy goes, oh, Simonster. So that's how the, the name started and it kind of stuck. Um, yeah. 
And then um, I was just going to use SciMonster.com, but that was taken. So that's where we threw the strength on because that's kind of what I, what I teach. Yeah, that's a great insight because since I've been saying Simon Stir, that doesn't capture the monster within, the monster within that name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Once once you say it appropriately, it it kind of makes sense. Like it just said, but it's interesting to see a nickname, right? To see it's it's brave because you don't see a lot of companies, brands that are built around the nickname. Uh, yeah. you're one of those guys you built your brand around around your um around your nickname. Tell me a little bit about your code, your code. You know, there's all these value systems, but when you're a brand, when you're a person, you can't be a thousand things at once. There could be a thousand awesome values, but you really have to choose to hone in on five or 10 that really work for you at this point in your life. What, what are some of the core values or your code that, you know, as a, as a, as a man, as a brand, what are, what are those core values in that code? Yeah, mine's when it comes to my my teaching, it's just efficient, honest, no bullshit. If I'm allowed to swear, <laughs> um, teaching. So, um, you know, to the point. There's no fluff about it. It's just if you want to learn a planche, you want to learn a handstand push up. These are the steps you take. Um, here's a very honest approach, and it should be justifiable. So, I think those are the the main things that I I want to stick with. With you know with my life and with, um, with my teaching is just, yeah, how can I benefit people in a positive way, remain honest and ethical with what I'm doing. And that's why I like to put out a lot of free stuff in addition to my, the stuff behind a paywall. So it's more accessible to other people and I can make a positive impact there and just to have quality, um, teaching. So I want, you know, people, when they, when they look at me, they go, okay, this guy really knows his in and out of every, every calisthenic skill. Um, he's efficient um, at teaching it. There's no irrelevant stuff in there. It's just to the point. Gives people the best um, best means to make progress towards this, whatever they want to achieve. Yeah, it's interesting because um, you. What was I going to say? I just lost my train of thought. Let's go. Let's go for a second. Oh, you were talking about uh, people with with no BS. Um, God, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, let's go. To, oh, let, we, let's we can go we can stop we can stop on second. there for a bit. Yeah, yeah. We can stop on the on the BS listening. in the in the. <laughs> we can stop on the BS in the fitness industry for a minute if you want. <laughs> um, Wait. So you know, I know what it is now, Simon. Let me say it. Let me say, it. you are, and I'm sorry to cut you off. You are very humble. I've met you. We live downtown Las Vegas. We lived in the same Tony Shea owned Tony Shea owned that place, and I want to talk about that. But you are a very humble guy, especially for, you know, you're a good looking guy. You're, you're actually one of those guys. You're probably like people watching, like you're better looking in person, right? Like they, every man, our little podcast thing is like, you look, they, you're, you're a good looking guy in person. You're super fit. You're super humble. And what's interesting is to see a brand, you know, you're not Tom Brady. You're not on an NFL stage. For, so for you, a lot of people would say, man, if you're going to be the personality, you're going to have to be so outgoing. You're going to have to be so high energy and you are, you know, you're just a straight shooter. You're very humble. You're soft-spoken. It's interesting to see that approach work phenomenally. Like it's for a guy that was just a no name, right? It's just interesting to see that humility because that really is part of your essence. I think you're a very humble guy. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you should be able to let this, the skills take, uh, speak for themselves. 
So I'm quite fortunate in that I I have been or I am a reasonably high-level athlete. You know, I've spent my life pursuing these feats that very few people do. So, you know, that's a a tick to my name because I can say, look, I can teach you how to do it. I've done it. Um, But in addition to that, um, you know, I've got the knowledge there. I've got the background in physiotherapy. Um, You know, I've worked as a personal trainer. I'm quite... um, well-informed with exercise science principles. So I should be able to justify everything that I say. And I'm very happy to um, to do that. And whenever I teach a workshop or teach a class, I always say, look, if, if you want to challenge anything I say, please do. Because if I don't have a, a justification for it, I shouldn't be teaching it. Um, and I think that's something that you, you don't see a lot of in the fitness world. You know, you see these jack dudes who are like, do you want to get ripped? Swipe up. And, you know, that's not... Um, that's that's not what I'm about. Um, I've, you know, there's a, a million guys out there teaching that. Um, you know, I want to teach a systematic approach to calisthenics, and and you know, you can get ripped learning something cool with your body at the same time. Tell us about shoulders, because you and I both. We, I mean, this is where I could geek out with you talking about it. We won't spend thirty minutes, but I could geek out spending thirty minutes. You've had the shoulder dislocations, complete dis- dislocation. I've had 14 of them. And what's astonishing is, I mean, I have for my age, for a guy who's my age and, you know, the the things I'm able to do power wise for my age and my size are pretty impressive given all the injuries I've had and especially the shoulders location. My shoulders are still very strong. So for people out there listening, I want them to be inspired by that because a lot of people, they get the injury and then they oh, never going to be the same. And then they just they just pack it in. I'm not going to be able to run. I'm not going to be able to do push ups again. And so you're you're an example, and I'm also an example of someone who's like, wait, the shoulders come out of the socket a number of times. Not only did you psychologically, you were able to overcome that. You were able to overcome the fear. You were able to overcome, will my shoulder ever be the same? Is it safe to do this? You were able to build it back up. Tell, tell me about that shoulder coming out of the socket and how you were able to not just how were you able to do it physiologically, but also psychologically so that you're able to do the incredible stuff you do. Yeah, I think that was the the biggest injury that had um, maybe the biggest impact on my mental health was, you know, I had this shoulder dislocation. That was a jujitsu injury. I was under side control, tried to make some space, and my shoulder popped out the back. Um, so I had a posterior dislocation. This is something that's, that I found is pretty common with jujitsu and otherwise extremely uncommon. So, yeah, the, the you know, interior so is the Interior is the yeah. Vast so, so you see, like ninety-five percent of dislocations are anterior. Someone like threw a ball, or um, you know, really hypermobile people can kind of do anything to dislocate their shoulder, have fall onto a hand. Um, but these posterior dislocations are just extremely rare. Um, but you know, I know a handful of guys, and they all seem to be jujitsu practitioners who've had these posterior dislocations because um, you have so much weight on your, you know, pushing your shoulder backwards. So I had this dislocation, my shoulder popped out. I knew something was wrong. The next day I could could barely lift my arm. It was super painful. And from then on, it just didn't feel right. Um, I had a lot of posterior instability. It would kind of slip out the back or um, start to slip out the back and I'd get a, a bit of an apprehension um, with that. But you know, with with rehab, I ended up getting a reconstruction on that, on that shoulder. That was an awful experience you know you're in a sling for for six weeks it's extremely painful you can't lift your arm when you come out of that sling it's like you know someone who used to be able to bench press double their body weight can't can't lift their arm above their head um and 
it can be really demotivating. Um, what I found is just you, you just got to do what you can do. Um, and strength is one of the best things. Strength and motor control are the two things you can really change through physical training to protect your joints. So um, if you do have an unstable shoulder, one of the best things you can do is to, to get stronger and get, get better control um, aside from, from having a surgeon cut you open and fix whatever has, has been torn there. Yeah, it's interesting. So what are some of the, did you do a lot of band work? Were you doing certain things with planches? I'm talking about once you, once you got past that six weeks or however many months that was to where you weren't able to do a whole lot, you were doing the rehab. What were you able yeah. to do? Let's say month three, month six. What are the, what were the go-to exercises to really protect the short, the, the stability and the integrity of that shoulder? Yeah. Band work? So, yeah, so so in the early stages, like so, the first six weeks is essentially nothing. Some very small, like pendulum movements, to reduce your risk of getting a frozen shoulder. Um, from the six week mark um, onwards, um, you can you know you can start doing some active range of motion and you can start moving it, but you still can't lift any any significant weight usually until about the twelve week mark, um, and that's usually when surgeons say, all right, let's let's start getting you strong. Things should be should be healed pretty well now. So. You know, the first six weeks is improving your range of motion, getting that full range of motion, being able to lift your arm over your head. Um, then from about 12 weeks, um, I just started super light. So, you know, doing all the, the band stuff that you're doing, um, you know, very light resistance, band external rotation, internal rotation in different shoulder positions, um, lifting some very light weights. And from that point, that's kind of where you move into a more sports-specific um, rehab protocol. Um so I was pretty fortunate because I was a physiotherapist. Um, so I moved into doing things like just holding push-up positions, holding push-up positions on one arm, doing scapular push-ups, um, doing incline push-ups to reduce the intensity, doing band-assisted pull-ups, doing band-assisted dips, and just progressed from there, putting more and more weight on my hands, um, easing into things like handstands, handstand push-ups, and then, and then the more advanced skills. What's been the best method? I've seen different methods for popping the shoulder back in. What what have you found to be the best method? I mean, did it only was it a one time deal, or has it had it come out? Yeah, mine 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 was a one time deal, and I was pretty fortunate. It, it relocated um, itself, so I didn't need anyone to pop it back in. Okay, okay. Um, let's go yeah. to DTLV downtown Las Vegas. You and I lived there. Yep. Uh, down there for a little bit couple of years it seemed like and it was yeah. a time it was an interesting time because there was a lot of money pouring into downtown las vegas they were trying to revitalize it and get it to where a lot of the artists would come there and small and businesses would come and it would be a cool place and it would attract the young chic artists professional types so there was a lot i mean over like a half a billion dollars invested and it was an interesting time down there a lot like again people like you me many others a lot of interesting people there um, Tony Shea, of course, was, you know, one of the chief movers, chief architect of that with his money, with his influence with Zappos. You and I were both down there. What, um, you know, we both, I guess we've seen the headlines in recent weeks about his tragic death in the fire. What stands out to you about that downtown Las Vegas experience? And did you actually know Tony Shea? No, I, I didn't. And to be honest, I, I don't actually know too much of Tony Shea. So I have to you might have to tell me a little bit about him. Um, 
but yeah, so I moved here from from Australia to um for work, dancing in a show downtown. Um, yeah, coming from Australia, it it's just a crazy experience. Vegas is not like anywhere else in the world. It's like a big adult playground. So I got here and I was just kind of like, what what is this place? I I have no idea what to make of it. <laughs> you know, this is my first time in the United States and I'm I'm performing in downtown Las Vegas. Um, Yes. So it, it was just a wild experience, very eye-opening, um, just seeing this kind of crazy city that's always on on go. Yeah, you know, the uh, it helps to have the accent too. You know, that accent for some American women, I don't know, do all women everywhere you go love the Australian accent or is it just American is it just American women? I, it's like you can I, I think, accent. Yeah, I think everywhere except Australia. <laughs> it's it's pretty safe. <laughs> Noah, you, you've been oh, – one other thing that I want to turn it over to Noah. Um, two other things. When you go to – you know, I, I like looking through your Instagram page because there's a lot photogenically. There's a lot of – you can tell that you've put a lot of thought into the aesthetic of the page, how it looks, the variety, the colors, the settings, and natural settings. And it's not just you doing the pose. You usually change the setting. There's a lot of stuff in nature – so there's a lot of artistry and creativity around that. Tell us, take us into your mindset as to how you, how do you go about the artistic side, not just you doing the pose, not just you explaining it, but we're going to choose this location at Red Rock Mountain. We're going to hang this from a tree, whatever. How do you, how do you go about that? And why is that so important? Um, yeah. So I, I really like nature. I like, hiking i like traveling i love national parks um so you know i'd normally go there and take pictures anyway um and while i'm there i always think it's cool to to get a picture and i'd much prefer to be upside down or doing doing something um the type of stuff you see on instagram rather than just standing there um i also really like photography and i've got quite a few friends who you know who are creative types they like videography photography and sometimes it's just cool to go out with them and you know shoot a video or shoot a photo um, especially when it's somewhere you'd normally be anyway. So, you know, I'll go to Red Rock quite a bit just to hike. Um, and if I'm there with a, a friend who's into to photography, we'll try and get some cool pictures. Now, you're not yet Mr. Entrepreneur or whatever. You just, it's it's happening for you. But I predict that you're, you know, you're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're, you know, you've got a great brand going. What would be your advice just from where you are now? You know, you're still a work in progress, but you're having a, a quite a bit of success. And what would be your advice to other entrepreneurs or people out there who are going to set up a brand who have an expertise, but maybe they don't know how to go about it? What's your best advice? A couple of tips for them to say, this is, this is, these are steps that have worked for me at least. Yeah, I think what's worked for me is just trying to produce quality content. So, you know, I'd be doing this stuff. I'd still be doing the same thing if I if I was super rich and never had to work a day in my life. I would still be creating the same tutorials that I create. Um, I just might be able to make them a little bit better quality by pumping more, more money in, into them. But the goal with me has always just been, um, has just been quality content, quality teaching, you know, just try to make the best tutorials that you can, um, which is what I monetize. So I want to be the guy where, where you you know you're like this is your favorite calisthenics coach's favorite calisthenics coach. This is the the go-to guy with a with an answer for whatever whatever you need when it's related to calisthenics. Um, you know if if the goal is um, 
building a, a brand business, monetizing things, I really can't give much advice beyond that because this was never really a business pursuit um, for myself. This was just what I love to do. I just want to teach um, and get this out to as many people as possible. So this was an accident. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, one one thing I found that's been really beneficial um, that, that was quite hard to do was saying no to things that weren't um, weren't conducive to where I wanted to go. So, for example, um, I used to do some online coaching, and I was I limited myself to ten clients because I thought beyond ten I couldn't do a a really thorough job with each of them, um, and that's extremely time consuming. It's quite quite rewarding. Um, you know, and it's quite helpful to those 10 people, but you only reach 10 people. So um, I started scaling that back and, and cut that off so that I could make more programs, more tutorials that will reach more people. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm coaching 10 people for, for two months at a time, I can't, you know, I can't reach that many people in a year. Whereas if I make a program, a general program or a program for the handstand push up, I can, I can reach a lot more people. And that was taking away from the time that I would spend, um, you know, doing the more beneficial things. So it was sort of like short-term gratification at the expense of my long-term goals that I wanted to achieve. So I, I found just saying no to things that, that aren't conducive to what I want to achieve has been one, very challenging, but two, very helpful. Incredible stuff. I could go on and on. Noah, you've been there patiently. I know you've got some final, maybe some final thoughts, some final questions. And then I, Simon, we'd love to have you on. I'd love to have you on again sometime in 2021. Just we could keep going. Yeah, whenever, whenever you want. Thoughts, questions. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the quiet one over here, but I'm uh, uh, observing and um, taking in um, John Danaher, um, who's. Uh, uh, yeah, I know, I, know, I know of John Danaher. Um, he. Um, you know, I, I was talking to him. Um, I actually know where he goes. And after when he leaves the blue basement, um, I would track him down at Whole Foods and we would sit and um, I would interrupt his and interrupt his meal and sit with him. And um, I asked him point blank. I said, you know, um, what exercise should I do? And, you know, you know, it's outside of the academy. What's what's the exercise I should do? Um, for training, um, you know, my body and that's the best for, uh, jujitsu. And he told me, um, he gave me a two part answer. And I believe that your, uh, skill set, uh, is dead center in one of them. And what John, uh, uh, said to me, he said, aside from yoga, uh, was the, uh, LSIT. Yep. He said that is the best thing you could do as a jujitsu practitioner. Um, and from where I'm sitting now, I've worked with the LSIT a little bit and it's, it's tough. Um, and I've looked at your videos, uh, you know, before we've spoken, um, how do I increase the strength of my psoas muscles to keep my legs out in front? That is, that seems to be the tough one. Yeah. Um, yeah. John Danaher is um, just before we get into that answer, John Danaher is awesome. So I, I follow him, you know, I don't, I don't even do jujitsu anymore, but you know, I love the the content that he makes and it's always very, um, very to the point. It always has a fantastic justification. And that's kind of 
what I aspire to be in the in the calisthenics world. Mm. Um, when it comes to um, learning the LSAT, I've got um, I've got a free tutorial I've put on YouTube that you can you can look at um, that will probably answer um, a lot more thoroughly and concisely than I will right now. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to when it comes to building strength for the LSAT, that's something that a lot of people aren't that familiar with um, outside of the calisthenics world because it's an isometric movement. So it's an isometric, not movement. There's no movement. It's an isometric hold. So what that means is your muscle is contracting without movement. It's like holding weights out to the side for as long as you can. And generally, people don't train in this fashion. Generally, it's your traditional sets and reps. Now, you can do sets and reps to improve your LSIT. You can do things like, um, like holding a dip position and lifting your legs in front of you with straight legs or lifting your legs in front of you with tuck legs as a regression. But the LSIT has a lot of components. So... When you break down the LSIT, you need a strength component in your psoas and your rectus femoris and your abs. You need the strength to lift your legs. Um, additionally, you need to have enough hip mobility and hamstring flexibility to sit with your legs straight. So a lot of you know young fit guys who are who are quite stiff um, and strong but not that mobile will probably benefit a lot more from just improving their mobility and stretching their hamstrings as opposed to working the strength component. So you should at least be able to sit upright without using your hands and you're um, keeping your legs straight on the floor to ensure you have enough mobility. Beyond that, um, it's training the, training the skill in itself is the most important thing. Strength outcomes are really specific. So spending time doing L-sit holds, L-sit raises will go a long way. And you can do if you can't hold the L-sit for any significant duration, a great way to build towards it is doing things like tuck sit and extending your legs mm. you know doing reps of that in that you know 15 to 20 second time frame so you're getting enough duration or enough volume um, per set to make strength gains but you're also getting some exposure to that extended position so if you can only hold that for one second sets of one second probably won't go very far but extending the legs will allow you to accumulate a little bit more time um, in that position beyond that it's working the constituent muscle groups. So if you break the L-sit down, the, the things that you really need to work or the, the most important things are your abs, your hip flexors um, to lift the legs up. So rectus abdominis, rectus femoris, and, um, and your psoas muscle. You can work on that with hanging leg lifts. So hanging from a bar, lifting your legs up in a tuck position, increase the difficulty by straightening the legs to 90 degrees, increase the difficulty by bringing the toes to the bar. Um, if you really want to increase that that challenge. In addition to that, you want to work your scapula depresses to lift your body as high as you can. So if you keep your arms straight and you shrug your shoulders down away from your ears as far as you can, you'll lift your body higher. So that will allow you to, to achieve the L-sit on the floor on low parallettes. Um, and you can do that with dips and scapula, scapula dips. So just holding this position and lifting as tall as you can. The final component that's often um, understated in the L-sit is shoulder extension. So in the L-sit, if you look at um, you're just a fit guy, try an L-sit, often what you'll see is their body is curved and it's kind of at an acute angle like this. Mm. And they're kind of sticking their hips back behind their hands. In a perfect L-sit, you want to be in this upright L position. And the difference there is your shoulder flexion angle. So a lot of people are doing the L-sit like this you want to extend your shoulders to be in this nice upright position. So you need to push back um, with your arm. So okay. when it comes to improving your, when it comes to improving your LCD capacity, the summary is 
some attempts or some work on an LSIP related exercise a few times a week. So you might pick three LSIP training sessions a week, spend some time doing the actual LSIP or whatever regression you can achieve. So you might do four sets of 15 seconds in LSIP holds, add ankle weights if you're stronger, or do the dynamic reps if you're weaker, or even just the tuck, tuck sit. So you can achieve that four sets of 15 seconds. Then you might do a regression. So you're fatigued from that. You might just do LSIP lifts, four sets of 10. Beyond that, um, you want to work those constituent muscle groups. So you might do some scapular shrugs. You might do some hanging leg raises. Um, and you might stretch your hamstrings to help improve those, those components. That's so accessible. You know, it, it, it's so accessible to get in the on-ramp of that. It's, the floor is everywhere. So just sit on the floor and just it, press up from exactly. there. And, and if you don't have um, – if you don't have – so there are a few people, not very many, but some – some percentage of the population have short arms and a longer torso. And no matter how strong they are, they can't do the sit on the ground. So I have a friend who can sit on the ground upright and he can't actually touch the ground with his arms mm -hmm. straight. If that's the case, you can just use the armrests of a chair to lift up, but have the goal of getting, getting the skill on the floor. If you want a clear picture of exactly what to do, um, I've got a free tutorial for the sit on YouTube. Yeah, that, that, that tutorial uh, answered a lot of my questions and I wanted to, bring this up uh, about John Danaher's point about the LSIT and, and that being the primary, uh, the primary exercise that he suggests outside of it. And he does, uh, I've seen him, uh, at, I've seen him at the Academy doing things to strengthen that, um, you know, the component, the constituent um, muscles. Uh, so thank you. I, you know, and, and thank you for that uh, video. Um, I, I've seen it and um, I, I use it on my own. Um, it takes a while. So, well, thank yeah. you. Thank you. One other question. What, what equipment, since everybody's, a lot of people are stuck in the house. If, you know, there's all this equipment out there for this stuff. What should I have in my house? If I, if I'm a beginner and, you know, I don't have all the goodies, but if I can only purchase two or three things, where, what should I have in my house to start with accessories to help me with my calisthenics? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is something to hang from. So whether it be rings or a pull-up bar, um, that's super useful. Like a door frame mounted pull-up bar, you can get them for like 30 bucks on, on Amazon. Um, you know, with that, you can do things like pull-ups, um, hanging leg raises, L-sit hangs, um, any lever exercises as well. Beyond that, you really don't need anything. That would be the most. That would be the most important piece of equipment to allow you to get a balanced workout. The reason is you can do pushing exercises just using the floor and stuff you have at home. So you can do dips between two bar stools or between two chairs. You can do push-ups. You can modify your push-ups to make them really challenging. And there's all your pushing exercises: handstand push-ups. You don't need anything. But when it comes to pulling exercises, you need you really need something. There's nothing at home you can use to do pull-ups on that's gonna be um that's gonna be a replacement for a pull-up bar. You can use a door frame, it doesn't quite work. You can use a door, it's awkward. But a pull-up bar would be my my number one thing to get. Beyond that, if you're an absolute beginner and you can't yet do um chin-ups or dips, I would say a resistance band or a set of resistance bands so that you can uh, assist yourself with those movements and build capacity. That's something that will never um, that will never be useless in calisthenics either. 
So even if you, you know, you, you get 20 pull-ups, 20 dips, um, five handstand push-ups, you will still make use of resistance bands. You can do assisted lever holds, assisted planche push-ups. Um, they're, they're extremely useful. Yeah, my, my thing, and this is just my own curiosity, I don't know how, how useful this is going to be to everyone else, but I wonder, so I've started in 2020, I started doing more pull-ups. Like, so before I used to do like one day a week, I would do my back and then one day a week I would do squats and legs. And then, you know, and so I was doing that sort of thing, right? Then, of course, I was training jujitsu and wrestling, but when I would lift, I was like, we're going to hit this muscle again. Now, for I'm more into volume. So there might be three days in a row. I don't go to max, but I'll do pull-ups and I'll do different varieties three days in a row where the old me was thinking, dude, you're going to do too much, but I'm not usually going to max, but I'm doing them and I'm, I'm still. And so what's your philosophy on that in terms of regularity? Is it a crime to do pull-ups three days in a row, four days in a row? What's your or push-ups? What is your philosophy on that? Yeah, no, it's, it's not a problem to train on consecutive days. Um, so I would say if, if it's possible, that 48 hours of, um, of rest time is generally a good recommendation, a good starting point. Train a muscle so it's fatigued and then rest 48 hours and train that same muscle group. But there's so much more nuance in that and there's so many variables that go into, into um, programming as to what will be effective and what's not effective. So I, I, would, not, I would absolutely not say um, training every day is a crime. Um, and there's a lot of, um, there can actually be a lot of utility in it. So some powerlifters do daily one RM training. So, you know, you get, you do your daily one rep max squat for 30 days in a row and see tremendous gains at an advanced level. Now that's appropriate for short periods of time. It's appropriate for advanced athletes. If I tried to do my one rep squat every day, I would burn out in probably three days. Um, because I don't squat that often. But if it's something that you're accustomed to, your body can handle a lot more than um, than many people think it can. So, you know, advanced hand balances will train hand balancing every day. I'll probably do planche, you know, most days of the week through some periods, as long as your body is accustomed to that. And volume is one of the, the um, key variables um, that you want to to optimize when it comes to hypertrophy. That's one of the key drivers of hypertrophy or building muscle is how much volume you can do. So doing more frequency is, is a very um, sensible way to get more volume and staying further from failure will reduce fatigue. So if you did, you know, five sets to failure, you might need to, you might not be able to sustain that every day. But if you're, if you're going to an RPA of eight and you're stopping a few reps shy of failure, you could, you may be able to do five sets every day. My recommendation is, you know, start with, start quite conservatively as long as you're making progress, it's that's a good thing. You will never know what is an optimal training program. And even if you hit optimal, it won't be optimal forever. So progress is a beautiful thing. Focus on progress rather than chasing the ghost of optimal. Um, and gradually progress with your, your training volume and your intensity just to ensure that your body can um, acclimate to it. Awesome stuff. Well, you know, Noah, I know I speak for both Noah and I, Simon. It's been um, great guest, man. I've been, I've been, I'm happy that you, that you made time. He's getting bigger and, uh, you know, I'm just really happy that, that this has come to fruition, that we have a podcast and um, we'd love to have you on in 2021 and just see what you're up to. And again, um, for anybody out there who's interested, it's at 
Psy Monster, Psy Monster Strength uh, is your Instagram handle. Your YouTube handle is just Psy Monster, Psy Monster Strength? It's, it's, yeah, it's the same. Okay, so there's your YouTube channel. We're Everyman BJJ. And uh, gentlemen, have yourself a great rest of the Sunday. We'll, we'll get this link to you and everything, Simon. We're just really happy to help you. It's great, great stuff. Great, great conversation. One more thing, if I can Thank get in there. Yeah. One more thing, if I can get in there before we uh, sure. close up shop. Um, Simon, um, would love to do like a, uh, a challenge, um, you know, with New Year's. I, I want to go ahead and get started now. Um, do you uh, have you do you have any uh, challenges you're going to post on your videos, your or your social media for uh, for us to get started on already? I, yeah, I, I tend to post challenges quite a lot. Um, yeah. And they're, you know, from a, a wide variety of things like strength, endurance, coordination, you know, all ac acrobatic sort of stuff. So I'll try and throw some out um, for the new year of all different abilities. All right. Well, uh, you know, I want to be there and uh, uh, work. I, I definitely want to work on my LSIT. So, uh, um, you know, I'm going to look at it. If you throw out a challenge for the LSIT challenge, um, yeah, cool. you know, for the heavyweight LSIT challenge. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll be there for you. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be on be on that team. But thank you. I you know uh, th this is this is expert advice um, that uh, you know heavyweights and other every man every man every woman doing jujitsu benefits from um, the advice that you give. So um, I'm a fan, definitely a fan of your uh, the information you put out. Thank you very much for thank that. You. Thank you for your commitment to excellence. Um, Frank, I Thanks appreciate for having it. Me. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a great day, guys. Bye, Simon. Have a good day. One of these days back in Vegas. I want to, I want to hang out with Simon Atta. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. All right. Have All a good right. day, guys. Simonsterstrength.com. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.